Good morning, everyone. <laughs> to those who do not know me, my name is Glenn. And to those who know me, you probably do not, do not know that my parents did not name me Glenn. I name it myself. I gave myself the name Glenn maybe when I was 15 years old. And now I regret. <laughs> I should use my name that my parents give me, isn't it? You spend so much time thinking about what name to give, and then I came up with a Glenn. I chose the name not because um, that I knew the meaning of the name Glenn. I didn't know. It means valley. I chose Glenn because I like the country singer Glenn Campbell. And I named myself Glenn because I loved the uh, soccer player, the English soccer player called Glenn Hoddle, which became the England manager some years ago. Uh, and I like the name Glenn because it is one syllabus. I hate name where you have your whole name and then people try to shorten it. But it doesn't help. When I get to Bible college, instead of people calling me Glenn, they call me Glenny. Something about Australian, they like to shorten the name and lengthen the name as well. And uh, it doesn't help because instead of calling me Glenn, some people call me Glean. Uh, but as uh, Pastor Caroline already introduced last week, that name uh, usually comes with meaning. And uh, today we have been, over this month of December, the Christmas season, we are meditating on these four names that Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah for him, but for us is history. For him, it was future when he prophesied 700 plus years before Christ came. But for us now, 2,000 years later, we look back his history. So to them, it was prophecy to us is history because it, it was. And for us now, it's more towards the future coming of Jesus Christ's second coming. So the four names, Wonderful Counselor, and today what I want to do is look at the word Mighty God. And then next week, Everlasting Father, and on Christmas Day, we'll be looking at the name Prince of Peace that was prophesied by Isaiah uh, of this coming Messiah. But let me just uh, read to you the context, just a few verses and then I will explain to you the name Mighty God that was given to Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 said, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then this is the prophecy Isaiah made about Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace. God told us about who Jesus is long before he came. He is born for us. He is a gift for us. The government will be on his shoulders. 
He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and he's also called the Prince of Peace. So today we want to look at the name Mighty God. The name Mighty God teaches us two important lessons about Jesus. The first one is very, very crucial and very important because if you cannot accept and believe this, then you completely off the mark of what Christianity is all about. The first thing that Jesus tells us is that Jesus is God. The word Isaiah prophesies that this child is going to come, his name is called Mighty God. So the first thing that we can learn from this name is that it is telling us the child is to be born is God. Jesus is God. This is fundamental. He's not just the son of God as in, or he's just the, the first created being as uh, Jehovah's Witness would like you to believe. That's why they are known as cult, because they differ on the fundamental doctrines of the Christian belief of the Trinity. Uh, French philosopher Pascal said, not only do we not know God except through Jesus Christ, we do not know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. And Pope Benedict says, in Jesus Christ, God took on a human face and became our friend and brother. The fact that Jesus Christ is called mighty God indicates that he is God. Leo Tolstoy, uh, the Russian novelist, said, I believe Jesus Christ, or I think I might have this, to regard Christ as God and to pray to him are to my mind the greatest possible sacrilege, which means to say he cannot believe that. He, be he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. But yet, he cannot be further from the truth of what Scripture says about Jesus, who Jesus is. So Isaiah is basically saying that the child is born to Mary and Joseph. That child is God coming to us in the form of man. He's putting on the face of God to let us see who God is. And Jesus has never denied that he's God throughout his ministry that he has always said, I am God. Let me give you a few uh, uh, verses. John chapter 5, he says, So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. And at the close of this, his sermon on the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, he says this astonishing word. He says, I and the Father are warned. Again, his Jewish opponents pick up stones to stone him. Why did they stone him? But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, you claim to be God. So Jesus is never hide from the fact that he is God incarnate as man and dwell on earth for 33 years. Near the close of his public ministry, just before his death on the cross, Jesus cried out, 
He said, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. That means I'm Jesus, I'm God. And then in John 14, the clearest of all, he says this, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then this is the famous verse that we often quote, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Please note that Jesus never said, I will show you the way, I will show you the truth, I will show you the life. Jesus said, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him. From now on, you do, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone has seen me, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You don't need me to show you the Father. I am God incarnate. I'm right in front of you. So in plain, simple language, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Those who knew him affirmed that he was God. Jesus claimed to be God and accepted and claimed from the lips of others as well. We have no time to comb through the entire, you can look at how the disciples acknowledge him uh, and, and what kind of claim that Jesus made. No human being were, could ever make such kind of claims like all authority has given unto me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then not just that alone, and even uh, Peter, in Saint Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he said, Our God and Savior. Our God and Savior. The word and in Greek means K-A-I, Kai. Kai is the connector of two equals. That's why he said, go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're connecting all of equals together. That they are one God. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You can go through the scripture, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of this world, I'm the resurrection and the, and the life. I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd. The seven great I am's in John Gospels. And we're going to look at it next year. Uh, seven signs in John Gospel, the pointing to Jesus. And the Jewish leaders recognized that Jesus claimed the divinity. As I just read to you, that's why they planned to stone Jesus precisely because he claims to be God. Charles Spurgeon says this, Depend on it, my hearer. You never go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. So Jesus Christ is God. This is the heart of our Christian doctrine. It is non-compromised doctrine. It's not a negotiable doctrine. It is the heart of what Christians believe, that Jesus Christ is God coming to us in the form of bed. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He descended and came to us. So that's the first thing that when Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah, the coming baby born of Mary, that his name is Mighty God, that he is God.
coming to us. Secondly, when Isaiah prophesies that he, the, the name will be called Mighty God, it's not just saying that Jesus is God, but it is telling us that Jesus is the Mighty God. Not just only God, but Mighty God. What a paradox as we watched from the clip just now, a tiny baby. What a paradox that a baby in a manger should be called Mighty. He can't do anything. Yet, even as a baby, Jesus Christ was the center of power. Did you know that? His birth affected the heavens and caused a dazzling star to appear. The star aroused the interest of the Magi, and they left their homes and made a long journey to Jerusalem. Their announcement about a newborn king unnerved another king called King Herod and his court. Jesus brought angels from heaven and simple shepherds from their flocks on the hillside. Midnight became midday as the glory of the Lord appeared to man. And the New Testament provides us an opportunity to see the fullness of this mighty God that Isaiah predicted, showing both how his power was displayed in his life on earth but also how it was seen before he even came to earth. So New Testament painted this God, this Jesus is mighty. Mighty, Jesus was mighty even before his birth. Look at what uh, some verses say. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So even before Jesus was born, the before came down, he was involved in the creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ's display of might in the act of creation distinguished him from mere humans. We have the ability to make things, but we require some basic raw materials. And that is why theologian has called this creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. Just by the word, it came into being. We can't do that as human beings. We can create things, but we need raw materials to make things. But God called forth things into existence, creation Ex nihilo in Latin, out of nothing. It takes divine might to truly create. Christ demonstrated the power in the most profound way by creating the universe. So Jesus is a mighty God before his birth, and Jesus the mighty showed us that he was mighty during his earthly life. You just need to read through the four Gospels. You cannot but conclude that Jesus is not just human. He is God. There are a couple of things I can mention here. Uh, five things. You can read throughout Scripture. I only show you some of the texts, just one in fact, over the point I want to make. But there are so many Scripture texts that I can place beside each point. He has the power over nature. There's no doubt about it. He was able to uh, 
calm the storm, steal the sea. He was able to walk on water. He was able to multiply uh, bread and fish. He had power over nature. He had power over disease. Leprosy was cured. The lamb walk. The dead rise. The blind were opened their eyes. He had power over demons. Demons that was in the human body was all chased out. He had power. The greatest of all to me, he had the power over sin. And the, story, the text that I gave to you was a simple story about the four men that brought the paralytic to see Jesus. But because Jesus was in this house, it was so packed. And the scripture tells us that not only the house was packed, even outside the door was overflow. Not like he'll overflow a little bit, but overflow all the way. And, and the four gentlemen could not bring this paralytic man to see Jesus. So they came up with a genius idea of climbing up the rooftop and dismantle the roof and lower down the person. I don't know how this uh, paralytic man is so good in convincing his four friends to do that. But he must be a good salesman. But dismantle the roof. And then lower the paralytic man down to where Jesus was seated. And did you know what Jesus, when looking at this sin coming down, did you know what Jesus said to him? Your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the paralytic man, I probably would say, but I actually want to be healed. Why are you saying that my sins will be forgiven? That's not what I came for. That's what, not what I convinced my four friends to, to do. But Jesus knew that his real need was just not just the physical aspect, but the spiritual aspect. And said, you know, son, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knew because he's God, he knew what exactly these people are thinking. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, they are watching. Who is this man? He dared to say that your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sin. And he says your sins are forgiven. How dare you? To say that your sins are forgiven when it is only reserved for God. But Jesus knew what they are thinking. Jesus said, all right, just to prove to you that I'm God, that I also have the same power to heal. Now stand up, take up your mat, walk out. And he literally did that. And everybody was just flabbergasted, sat there with their mouth wide open. Jesus was God because he had the power over sin. And of course, he had power over death. Not just only he rose, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, but he himself, after he died for three days, he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is God and he is mighty God. That is what Isaiah is prophesizing about the, the Messiah that came. For us, it came, but it was coming for Isaiah. When, and so this Christmas, as we uh, celebrate Christmas, we must be reminded again and again that Jesus is God. And not just that Jesus is God, Jesus is mighty God. I want to give you a very simple three applications that is called hermeneutics. Uh, here and now. Uh, the word exegesis means then and there, but hermeneutics is here and now. 
what now that we know Jesus Christ is the mighty God. Three things I want to show you. First and foremost, that means to say He is the source of our power. He is the source of our power. Any powers that we have, it has to come from Him because He is the source of all power. And so our self-will is never enough. A stoic spirit is never sufficient to overcome certain things. We need the power of God. So He is the mighty God. He is the source of our power. And secondly, He is the strength of our lives. That's why St. Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our inner lives are weak, overcome habits, overcome struggles and all that, but it is only through the power of Christ that we tap into that can help us overcome things, situations that we find it difficult to overcome. What a great promise. He will strengthen us for all the circumstances and inevitabilities of life. But this doesn't mean that we will never know pain or hardship, but that we can endure in triumph. How can we do that? Only as we rest in His power, because He is a mighty God. Rest in His power, draw strength from Him, and not in our own. Thirdly, He secures our eternity. He secures our eternity. Salvation is the work of God. It's the work of the cross. You and I have done nothing. Absolute nothing. Big, fat, zero. Nothing. It is a gift. He secures our eternity. Our role is to believe, is to trust, is to accept Him as our Lord and Savior and let Him sit on the throne of our heart and be our King and live for Him. He secures our eternity. Uh, 1 Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God. God has nothing can overcome God's power to keep us in Christ. What a great assurance it is to know that we are secure not because of our own ability to hold on to Him, but by His power holding on to us. So, in view of uh, what I've just presented briefly, from the New Testament, how can we see our Lord Jesus Christ as anything less than the mighty God? There was a songwriter by the name of Julie Go. You probably don't know her, 
but I later on tell you who is a singer and you will know the song. Uh, called Julie Go, who was working odd jobs in New York City to make ends meet when she received a very special 30th birthday gift from her parents back home in Philadelphia. You know what was a great grief? The piano she had played as a child. That's the gift, 30th birthday gift, transport all the way to New York City for her. And the man who delivered her, her, her piano told her that it had gotten pretty cold in the truck on his way to her and that she shouldn't play it for a day to give it time to adjust to its new surroundings in her apartment. Julie Go wanted to play it very badly, but not wanting to cause damage, resisted the urge. And instead, she just hugged it and polish it. And the next day, she sat down at the piano and she wrote this song in two hours. The music and the lyrics of the song. And this song was made popular in the 1990 by a singer called Betty Meller. You know the song? From a distance. From a distance, you know. And when she was asked why she wrote this song, she simply said that she wrote this song. She said, I only set out to write a decent song about the difference between the way things seem and the way things are. And these are the words. From a distance, the world looks blue, green, and the snow-capped mountains, they are white. From a distance, the oceans meet the stream and the eagles takes to flight. From a distance, there is harmony and it echoes through the land. It's the voice of hope, it's the voice of peace, it's the voice of every man. From a distance, we have all, we have enough and no one is in need. There are no guns, no bombs, no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. From a distance, we are instruments marching in a common band, playing songs of hope, playing songs of peace, and they are the songs of every man. And then here comes the chorus. He said, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. What is a beautiful song, I think Julie Go was completely wrong in the portrayal of God and certainly not the God of the Bible. It, it doesn't deny the existence of God, but he seems powerless or unconcerned of what is happening on earth. And the song is wrong, the lyrics at least, because God is not off somewhere looking at us from a telescope. He was and is involved with us. He came to this earth to show us that He is not far off somewhere from a distance. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 7, the virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And John said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and mercy. Jesus came to our world in a flesh and bone earth suit. The opposite of a space suit. Making himself totally approachable, touchable for at least 33 years, and relatable as he entered our earthly atmosphere. So this is Christmas. This is what Isaiah prophesies, mighty God. <clears throat> He's a God, He's mighty, and He came to us. May you experience the joy of this Christmas, knowing that Emmanuel, God is with us. Father, thank you for your word. The Almighty God appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the Incarnation, that Jesus is the human face. He makes it concretely accessible to us. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you that you are not watching from a distance. You came to us. You dwell on earth. You reach out to us. You understand human suffering. You understand human pain because you suffer yourself. And therefore, we can worship this Almighty God who is powerful, who is relatable, who is understanding, who knows us and still accept us, still embrace us, still prepare for us, still secure salvation for us. Thank you, Lord. What more do we need other than bow our heads, bend our knees, and say, thank you, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Sit at the throne of my heart and rule my life, that I might live life that glorifies you. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this beautiful closing song, we want to praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit, three in one. Amen.